It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is Thursday, March 15th, 2012. Uh, My name is Anthony Petrochko, and uh, our usual hosts, Jacob and Greg, are out of pocket tonight, so... We're going to uh, try to give this a shot in their absence. And joining me tonight is Monty Overton, one of the members here at College View. Monty, thanks for uh, coming in tonight. Hello, Anthony. It's good to be here with you. Good to be here. So we're, we're looking forward to a good study tonight. We certainly encourage your participation um, in the chat room or via email. Uh, we also You can also call us. Uh, we have a toll-free phone number that you can call in and reach us, and we can put you on the air if you wish, and we can discuss the topic for tonight. We sent out some questions to our uh, update list earlier tonight, or, or today, rather, um, with the topic for tonight's study. We wanted to talk about the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we sent out a couple of questions, and looking for your feedback, you have time to send those to questions at collegeview.com tonight if you haven't had a chance yet go ahead and send those in during the show we'll be happy to try to get those shared with our our audience tonight and those questions that we sent out the first one is can we know when jesus will return and if so how will we know and if we can't know why not Uh, the second question is is jesus waiting for any particular conditions on earth before he can return so is is he waiting for for some sort of sign for some sort of uh, conditions to be met before he's able to return and if that's the case what are those conditions and the third question we have is will we know when Jesus comes again in other words you know money is it going to be something that happens and we don't we don't realize it happens it, we if we blink we miss it or is it going to be something that is not you know not something that can be missed um, and then the fourth question is, what will happen to the earth and its inhabitants when Jesus comes? So, oh, also, question number five, will Jesus set foot on the earth when he comes again and set up a physical government or, in other words, a kingdom? And if so, uh, or su- supply scriptures to support your answer either way on that one. So we look forward to your feedback on those questions tonight if you have a moment. And also join us in the chat room at uh, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. You can access the chat room there and you don't have to provide any personal information you can just sign in there pick a pick a name and a password and sign in or even join as a guest and share your comments with us i see we have a few uh listeners in the room already monty so that's good we're hoping they can help us out tonight we might need a little bit of a a little bit of a boost tonight we'll take all the help we can get (laughs) very good all right so talking about the second coming of jesus you know there, there's a lot of things wrapped up in this idea. Um, there's a lot of things that we can talk about tonight. And the first question that we want to address is, you know, first of all, is Jesus coming again? Is this something, I mean, 
have Monty, have we just kind of cooked this up to make us feel good? You know, we want to have something to look forward to. So we just kind of came up with this idea that Jesus is coming back. Uh, Or is this something that, that we find in the scriptures? I believe, Anthony, we can see that we find this in the scriptures that Jesus is definitely coming again. Uh, Jesus talked about it himself in Luke chapter 12 and verse 40. Let me turn over there right quick. Sure. Uh, Jesus says, Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So Jesus is telling us here that he will be coming back. And we, uh, he's also informing us that we're not going to necessarily have any clue as to when he's coming back, but that he is coming back. Jesus said it himself. So if Jesus said it, that should really be the last word on the subject. Right, and and we also see that not only did, did Jesus tell us that he was coming back, but, of course, the apostles who he, he gave authority and, and were inspired, uh, they also taught clearly that Jesus was coming back. Uh, for example, Peter in Acts chapter 3 uh, declares that Jesus is coming back. Monty, I don't know if you're there. I'm going to catch up with you. Yeah, I've, I've got that one right here. Peter's having a discussion here. In verse 19, he's telling the people that they need to repent and be converted, that their sins may be blotted out. And in verse 20, he talks about that God is going to send Jesus, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken of by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So Peter, at this point in his preaching, was teaching that Jesus was going to be coming back. Exactly, and... um also in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Paul says, let me make sure I'm in the right spot. He says, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly there we're looking for Jesus' coming, and we, we can take comfort in that fact. Uh, what about John? What did John have to say, Monty? Well, in First John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Beloved now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, you know, if we're going to see him as he is, he's going to have to come back. We're going to have to get in his presence to be able to do that. So John is even telling us here that Jesus will be coming back and that we'll be able to see him in his true state when, when that happens. Exactly. So, so again, you know, this is, is a biblical concept. It's not something that... that has been dreamed up by the so-called Christian uh, Christian community. Elaine in the chat room references Second Peter three verse ten. I believe that's a familiar passage, but I'm not going to attempt to uh, to quote it from memory, Monty. We'll see if you can beat me there. Pages are running together here. Yeah, mine too. Uh, but I got it. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them shall be burned up. So he's also telling us here that Jesus is coming back and giving us some insight as to what's going to happen when that takes place. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think, you know, once we establish the fact that Jesus is coming back, you know, the question kind of inevitably becomes, well, when? When's he coming back? Do we... Can we know when he's coming back? Um, has he told us? Are there some some signs in the Bible that we can be looking for? You know, certain things happening in the world or in society that we see going on, or or some planets lining up that tell us that Jesus is about to come. So that I think that kind of becomes the inevitable second question. So, and that's the question that we asked. Um, 
that we asked to our email list tonight. And I wanted to, we got a couple of responses, and there's still time for you to get those in if you, if you have not yet done that. But we have Peter uh, replies to the question one, can we know when Jesus will return? And if so, how will we know? And if not, why not? Peter says, I don't think we can know when he will return. I think the Bible makes it quite clear that no one knows the date that it will happen. And he quotes Matthew 24:42, which says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And he also mentions 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And that's what we just saw as well in the in the verse that Lane quoted, Second uh, Peter 3.10. So uh, Peter goes on to say, these verses show quite clearly that we're not meant to know the exact time of his return. Probably if we did know the date, there would be some who would continue to behave inappropriately and then repent and turn to God it, at, in the last few hours, hoping they would then be saved. I'm certain that we can know, I'm certain that we can know is that we are currently living in the end times. I don't think that it will happen in mine or my children's generation, but I do believe we could be as close as my grand or great-grandchildren's generation. So some interesting thoughts there. Any uh, any comments, Monty, on, on that? Yeah, I actually knew a person one time who had the notion that there was going to be signs when Jesus was come, and he, he talked about what he thought some of those signs were going to be. And he actually was living in sin with a woman, but he said he wasn't concerned about it, because he was going to keep on doing the, acting the way he wanted to until these signs came to, he seen these signs being fulfilled. And then he would repent and give up his sinful ways and turn to Jesus. So, you know, the, the, the per emailer here uh, suggested that there might be people that were that way. Well, I've actually known in my life at least one person who that was his, definitely his attitude was he was going to continue to live in sin until the very last minute, so to speak, and then he was going to try to squeeze in under the wire so he could be saved after he had done all the sinning he could stand. Right, and I think that that definitely would be um, a consequence if if we did know when Jesus was coming. I think that would that would certainly encourage that type of behavior with people sort of putting off obedience to God. So that's certainly true. Uh, I want to talk about the the phrase you know a thief in the night, and and Lane you know mentions this addresses this in the chat room tonight too. We just read there in First Thessalonians uh, five two uses the phrase a thief in the night, and we saw in Second Peter three ten also uses that phrase. So Lane says, well, do we know when a, when a thief is coming? Does a thief announce, give any sort of warning that he's coming? You know, if you were going to go rob, come rob my house, Monty, I don't think you're going to. You know, give me a call or send me a text message ahead of time saying, hey, by the way, I'm coming over. I'm on the way. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I don't know. I think that that to me um, implies that we that we can't know when Jesus is coming. And you know, I will look at some other passages later where that talk about certain signs that are going to occur. And particularly in uh, Matthew chapter 24, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, I think those passages sometimes we have to make sure that we're looking at the context in that passage particularly. But to me, the idea of a thief in the night implies that we there's no way to know there's there's no warning or no signs because if there were then you know we would have that excuse that we were talking about and and people would just hang out and wait till they started seeing the signs um so we'll get into that a little bit later 
Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Jack in the chat room references uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who know not God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So, uh, again, this kind of goes back to the first question or the first point we were making, that Jesus is coming again, and this is another verse that, that addresses that and, and talks a little bit more about how that's going to happen and what's going to happen there. Um, so, all right. Okay, great. Well, thanks, everybody, for your comments in the chat room. And so uh, let's get to a, another. We have one other listener response via email. I want to get to that uh, in response to the first question, can we know when Jesus is coming again? Uh, we have Alan uh, responds, we can't know because Jesus plainly says we cannot. In Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no one, not even the angels of heaven, neither the Son, but the Father only. So even even Jesus says that he didn't even know when the day was going to come. You know, and that's pretty presumptuous, I think, of people nowadays to say, well, we've got these signs and they're indicated in the Bible when Jesus is going to come back, when this day of judgment is going to be. Well, if Jesus didn't know when it was and he says only God knows, First off, if he didn't know when it was going to be, how could he tell me what the signs to look for? Uh, so if we've got the notion that we've got it all figured out and we know when he's coming back, then what we're really being really arrogant and saying is, well, we know more than Jesus did. And I don't believe personally that anybody can know more than the, somebody that was involved in the creation of the world. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Jack in the chat room says, for Jesus Christ to return to the earth when it's only nighttime everywhere on earth would be impossible. There's concurrently daytime and nighttime simultaneously on earth. And that, that's a good point. So kind of talking about the uh, the phrase a thief in the night is a figurative, you know, a figure of speech to imply that we just we don't know. Uh, so and guest 257 says we'll know when it when it happens. So it, it'll be obvious that it happens when it happens. Uh, and he says we'll either be really sorry or really joyous, depending on our situation. And, and that's true. And we'll, we'll address that a little bit later on as well. Um, well, Monty, we'll. Before the, we're about up against a break, but you know, we were talking about the fact that we we can't know when Jesus is going to come based on the scripture. But there have been plenty of people throughout history who have attempted to predict. Despite that, they've attempted to predict when Jesus is coming. It's uh, it's pretty amazing that folks would do that despite these plain passages that we've talked about. We have some examples. Uh, why don't we I'll tell you what we just came up against our first break? So why don't we at the other side of the break? We'll look at, we'll kind of touch on some of these folks through history who have tried to predict Jesus' coming, even some as recently as last year. So we'll talk about that. But but uh, during this first break, if you have a chance, uh, respond to the email questions. If you're on our email list or give us a call and or join in the chat room. And on the other side of the break, we'll, we'll get into the idea of predicting Jesus' return. So... Uh, we hope that you'll uh, continue to be with us in the study tonight, the virtual Bible study. We'll be r- right back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century. There it stands. 
Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. One of the hardest things about business is minding your own. Rules for success don't work unless you do. We tend to become the decisions we make. The more we choose something, the more we become that something. We are all in the process of solidifying our identities by the decisions we make. With each decision we make, we pick up momentum in the direction of that decision. Everyone must realize this truth. There is important work to be done that will not be done unless you do it. Man, I wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome again to the virtual Bible study. We're back after our break, and we were just about, Monty, to talk about this notion of folks predicting the coming of Jesus. And even though we were just looking at, prior to that, the scriptures that plainly teach that we can't know when Jesus is going to return, yet we still, we've still we had people through history who have, have attempted to do just that. Yeah, Anthony, there's been repeated attempts, and I'm sure we're not even remotely aware of all the times that people have tried to predict when Jesus was going to come back. Uh, we've got a few examples here in, in the material that we've got of some people that done that. Uh, there was a fellow named William Miller. He lived from 1782 to 1849, and he was one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And he felt like he'd done a really careful and detailed examination of the Bible, especially the books of Daniel and Revelation, and uh, he come to the conclusion that on March the 21st of 1844, and then when that didn't quite work out, that October the 22nd of 1884 would be the date when Christ would return in glory and the earth would be cleansed by fire, ushering in the new millennium. But we see that when that didn't happen, his followers kind of figured out that maybe he was a little bit of a false prophet and started to drift away. And then in his organization, there was a person named Ellen G. White, and uh she claims that she had a vision and that Mr. Miller was correct in his timing but just wrong about the event and uh, that actually Jesus went into uh, the most holy of holies in heaven and started judging the believers at that point. And so she kind of pulled his fat out of the fire, so to speak, and was able to save the day for their movement. And she then at that point, more or less, she became the leader of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. So we can see here that this, this person, William Miller, uh, he tried to predict when Jesus was coming back, and as the Bible tells us, he wasn't able to do it. Right, and I think that's interesting. We, we look at uh, others who made predictions, but then they kind of change. You know, when it doesn't happen, they kind of change. Well, it, something happened. It just wasn't quite what we said. Like uh, the Charles Russell, who's the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, was also you know one who was well known for making setting dates. And he set several different dates, uh, 1874, 1914, 1975. And they, when those things didn't happen, they, they sort of changed the story. As, for example, for the 1914 date, 
They said, well, the Lord did come back, but you couldn't. It was he was invisible. You couldn't see him. So, you know, that's kind of we've already talked about that a little bit. The idea that, uh, you know, Jesus, when he does come, it, it will be obvious. Um, and, and that reminds me, too, of a more recent prediction we had last year. Harold Camping, if you remember, there was a lot of buzz, even in the national media, about this prediction. I believe it was October 21st or something of last year, something like that. I can't recall exactly the date, but, I mean, they had billboards. They had big campaigns of people going around telling everybody this is going to happen. In fact, we interviewed um, a member of that group, now now that I'm recalling, who said that yeah he he was gonna you know empty his bank accounts and he was he was prepared to have all of his affairs in order for that date he they really believed that this was going to happen and of course it came and went and nothing happened and the idea I think they decided well I'm trying to remember what their their explanation was I don't well, know that I ever really heard an explanation I know. well they came up with well, I think it's something to do with judgment that well it was. Uh, a judgment is similar to what we just read that the judgment was occurring or something like that. I can't recall. Maybe someone in the chat room can remember. But anyway, so I guess the point we're making, Monty, is there's never been a, a shortage of people who are willing to put a date on Jesus' return, despite the clear Bible teaching that we can't do that. You know, and, and what's amazing is you would think that people will be able to read the Bible for themselves because we're talking about people that are supposedly religious people and you would think religious people would be promoting and being able to give a book, chapter, and verse for the things that they're trying to teach. And you'd think their followers would be able to look when they give this book, chapter, and verse about whatever it is they're trying to teach and say, well, that's not really what that says. Or be able to point to the other scriptures that, like what we've talked about tonight that says, well, I understand that you've gone through this process and think you've got it figured out, but... The Bible clearly says you can't know when it's going to be. Right. Yeah, and the thing with the Harold Camping was he had done, supposedly had done this, These he was an engineer, mm-hmm. and he'd done these very complicated calculations of dates from all these. He sort of figured out a code language, he yeah. thought, that was in the Bible that, that when you added up all these numbers, it came up to be October whatever of last year. But anyway, so definitely, you know, some interesting, um, interesting stuff with that. But many of the false predictions that that come about the end of the world, and, and when you start to hear people talking about, well, yeah, I think it, I really think it's near. You know, I, I see the things happening, and a lot of the the familiar phrase that I hear a lot is, there are wars and rumors of wars and things like that. That's a big one. And a lot of these uh, predictions come from a sort of a perhaps a misunderstanding of the context of Matthew chapter 24. I wanted to spend a little bit of time there um, because that's where a lot of these these things come from because no doubt there are, Jesus talks about signs in Matthew 24, and you can't deny that. He, he says, as I mentioned in, in verse 6 of Matthew 24, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and earthquakes and famines and so forth. So people hear this language, and I mean, there's no doubt Jesus is talking about signs that will precede a certain event. But the question is, what event is he talking about in that in that passage? And I think there are some clues, Monty, in the in the context that will tell us that that those signs are not talking about the the end of the world. 
Yeah, I believe that's correct, Anthony. And I think one important clue to that is in verse 34 when Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So whatever these signs were and whatever understanding we come to them, we have to know that it was something that took place in that generation. You know, we understand that a generation normally would be about 30 or 40 years or something like that. So he's talking about people and things that was going to take place that these people that was living at that time would be able to see and understand. He wasn't talking about something 2,000 years later or 3,000 or 10,000 or however long God decides to let the world stand. He was talking about something that was going to happen to them and that they would be able to recognize and see. Right. Uh Dan, did you have something that you want to throw in there? Yeah, I actually uh, I've done a, uh, a wiki search and I've, I've, a Wikipedia search, and I found out on camping. He said he admitted in a private interview that he no longer believed that anybody could know the time of the rapture or the end of the world. In a stark contrast to his previously uh, staunch position on the on the subject, so yeah, so he he finally did admit that you know he doesn't think that anyone could. Could predict when it's going to occur. Oh, wow, that's, that's I thought that was a, a that's a big change right here. A, a big about face on his part. So thanks for for dredging that up, Dan. Always always good to have a fact checker behind the behind the controls back there. So thank you for that. But um, yeah, so I think as we were saying, Monty, a, a lot of misunderstanding in Matthew chapter twenty four. I think another thing to keep in mind is this all the context of Matthew chapter twenty four. It all gets started. Jesus, in verse 1, uh, they went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And then in verse 2, Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he's talking about the immediate context there is the, the destruction of Jerusalem. That's right. And then, he, and then in that context of the discussion about destruction of Jerusalem, then he goes to start talking about these signs to, of the coming that he's talking about. Well, the coming what? Well, the coming destruction of Jerusalem. That's what they were talking about. Right. And, you know, an interesting point that I went back and was listening to a program, an archive of the virtual Bible study from, I believe, back in 2005. There was an interesting point because, and this little bit gets off into a side topic um, where there are those who believe that when Jesus comes again, it's not going to be in final judgment, but it's going to be to set up a kingdom in Jerusalem, you know, an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And we call that idea premillennialism. And the, the, the point was made during that, that study, which I thought was interesting, and people who hold that view will still talk about oftentimes Matthew chapter 24 and all of these signs, um, and they say, you know, that, that that means that Jesus is coming back and he's going to come to Jerusalem. And, you know, we need to go where Jesus is. It's his kingdom. But it's interesting that that in in this uh, passage in Matthew 24, he's telling them to flee the city. And I'm looking for that verse. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm not putting my finger on it. Um Okay, there it is, finally, verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him which is on the mountaintop, or housetop rather, not come down to take anything out of his house. So the, and what happened, we know from secular accounts in the destruction of Jerusalem that the Christians, of the faithful at the time, they did see these signs, and they actually did flee the city, many of them, and got out when the Romans came in and, and destroyed the city. History tells us that there weren't any believing Christians killed in the destruction of Jerusalem 
because according to the historical accounts, they did recognize and see these signs, and when it started coming about and they seen the Roman armies approaching and everything, they knew what was coming, and they did get out and flee to the hills. And right. so not, none of them were killed in this because they believed what Jesus had said and followed suit. Right. So uh, if we're looking at Matthew 24 for signs, we just need to be careful that we're considering the context there. I think further on in that passage, there, there is some more language that Jesus seems to shift gears to start talking about the final judgment, but preceding verse 34, which is where the most commonly quoted passages come from prior to verse 34, those things, you know, it says these, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So that was something that was, that was specific to that time. Uh, appreciate all the chatter in the chat room. Uh, uh, let's see if we can quickly, before our second break, catch up with some of this. Um, let's see. Uh, Jack says he also believes that Matthew 24 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Guest 871, much of the judgment language of Matthew 24 is in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem, which would happen in the lifetime of those that Jesus was speaking to. So that kind of goes along with what we've been saying. Um, and let's see. All right. Okay, great. Well, I think we're just right up against our second break, and I believe we're going to get this week's bullet point. So, again, appreciate everybody's participation in the chat room. If you have anything else, uh, send us an email, jump in the chat room during the break, and let us know your thoughts. And we'll be right back with the virtual Bible study right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It was reported in a church bulletin that a certain congregation was issuing a license to complain to all the members that applied and were qualified. But in order to qualify, the applicant had to certify these things about himself. Number one, I attend all regular and special worship services of the church. Number two, I pray each day for fellow members of the congregation, the preacher, each elder, and every deacon, that they may be strengthened. Number three, I see that my children are enrolled and take part in all the study activities planned for them. Number four, I volunteer for, gladly accept, and enthusiastically carry out responsibilities in the church. Number five, I visit the sick and shut-ins and help in evangelistic calling on prospective members. Number six, I regularly and systematically give of my income to the congregation, always praying for God's help and making me aware of my financial obligations. And number seven, I firmly believe others in the congregation are motivated by goodwill in their relationship to and their actions toward me, and I interpret them that way even as I anticipate their love and understanding of me. Now remember, in order to obtain this license to complain, the church member had to certify that all those things were true about himself. Now, here's the interesting part. This particular congregation reported that no licenses had been issued. Do you know why? It's because those who applied were not qualified, and those who qualified did not apply. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now back to the program. And welcome back. We're rolling on along here on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus and some of the, uh, the facts pertaining to that. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is coming again. And we've talked about the fact that 
money that we can't know when he's coming again based on the scriptures and and so now I wanted to to see if we could uh, move into discussion of how this is going to happen so we talked about what's going to happen we've talked about when it's going to happen which is really a trick question because we don't know when it's going to happen so let's talk about uh, the how this is going to happen and I want to I'm trying to go back to our questions that we sent out to our update list. Let's uh, let's look at a couple of responses to the one of the questions we asked was, will we know when Jesus comes again? So this kind of gets to the how Jesus is going to come. Is it going to be an invisible coming like the uh, I believe the Jehovah's Witnesses had had claimed after one of their failed predictions, or is this going to be something that we're going to realize? And uh, we got a couple of responses to that email question. Uh, Alan in Manchester says to the question, will we know, will we be able to know when Jesus comes again? Is it going to be something that we can observe? And he says, yes. And he quotes First uh, Thessalonians 4:16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Also, John chapter 5, verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour cometh in which all that are in the tombs shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, and they for uh, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment. And finally, Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they that pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn over him. Even so, amen. And I want to get to Peter's response to that question. Uh Peter says, will we know when Jesus comes again? He says, I believe that he will provide much evidence of his approaching return, but I don't know if the world as a whole will be too wrapped up in their own concerns to notice. Uh, that kind of gets back to what we were talking about, the predictions, Monty. I'm not sure that I that I would agree with that statement that, that we're going to, you know, there's going to be some sort of signs that would precipitate Jesus' coming. I think we've established uh, from various scriptures that we're not going to know. Well, the, we won't know when it's going to be, but it says the question that we had was says, will we know when Jesus comes again? And I believe we'll definitely know when he comes. Uh, if nothing else, in Second Peter 3.10, it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth, so and all, earth and also the works therein then shall be burned up. Uh, it talks about seeing that all these things would be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be. Uh, I would think that if the earth was going to be destroyed or was being destroyed, the elements melting with fervent heat and all this massive destruction that Peter's describing here, I just don't see how, as, this, as the Peter that in the emailer wrote, he wasn't sure that people would notice they'd be too wrapped up in their own things. I just can't imagine not noticing the total destruction of the earth and everything in it. Right. Yeah, I think... Without without a doubt, that it will be something that that we won't miss. So it's not like these others who have predicted Jesus unsuccessfully predicted Jesus's return. It said, well, we just couldn't, we didn't know it was invisible. So it's certainly not the case. And and uh, one of our email respondents mentioned, and we read, and also several folks in the chat room are bringing up First Thessalonians chapter four, which is a great passage that talks about Jesus's return and what we can expect. And as we had read earlier, verse 16, we, we hear, we read about a shout, so it's going to be something that we can hear. 
with a shout and with the trump of God. So it's going to be something that that we can hear. And if for some reason we couldn't hear it, we know that it will be visible as well. In, in this, in Acts chapter one, this is a, an important passage as well, talking about how Jesus' return is going to uh, is going to look. It looks like Monty, you you have that. Yeah, the context of this, the apostles have just been and Jesus have been ascended up into heaven, and while they were standing there watching, in verse, Acts chapter one verse ten, it says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white peril who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand up gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So if it's a like manner, if it's after a similar fashion or in the same way as what they're saying here, it was a visible thing. They seen him go up. We'll be able to, whoever is around at the time, will be able to see him when he comes back. This isn't going to be something that's not going to. And I just can't imagine if Jesus is coming back to the world that we could be so busy with our daily lives that we wouldn't notice. Right. I think clearly we'll be able to hear this occur. We'll be we'll be able to see it occur. And also, as far as how it's going to be, going back to uh, the first uh, first Thessalonians uh, again in in verse or chapter four, verse seventeen, we see that this will be and it's similar to what you read, Monty, in Acts chapter one, as far as coming in the clouds. Mm-hmm. In in verse seventeen. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So again, we're, that gives us a little more idea of what it's going to be like. We don't know every, all the details, but we know that it, it's going to be in the clouds, and there's going to be this reunion in the air. And I think that's an interesting thing to note that a lot of people today have the as we mentioned a minute ago, this idea of premillennialism, that when Jesus comes back, he's going to set up some kingdom on the earth. Well, this scripture here that we just read, First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, says we're going to meet him in the air, not here on the earth. And it talks about this wherever we're meeting him up in the air. It says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. It didn't say always be here on the earth. We're right. going to where he is. He's not coming to set up some kingdom where we're at. We're going to be with him. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of uh, that gives us brings us to our the last question that we asked to, in our email today. It said, "Will Jesus set foot on the earth when he comes again? And will he set up a physical government, a physical kingdom?" And we got a couple of responses on that. Or actually, we we have one response, uh, and it goes to what you were just saying, Monty, again, it, and mentions that same verse, First Thessalonians 4:16, that. We're going to meet Christ in the air and that he will descend from heaven. And, and, and Alan says there's no mention of his lighting or setting foot upon the earth. Rather, those alive and remaining shall be caught up to meet him in the air. So there's no mention anywhere in the scripture of Jesus actually setting foot on on this earth again. And in fact, we, we read earlier about how the, the earth and the works therein will be burned up. So there's not going to be any more earth left you know shortly after his coming for for him to be on you know it's interesting when people talk about jesus coming back to the world and establish his kingdom here on this world uh jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would fight so that i should not be delivered to the jews but my kingdom is not from here so jesus was very specific and clear i mean Pilate 
was understanding the accusation made against Jesus that he said he was a king. And Jesus is saying, even though I am a king, my kingdom's not from here. It's not something that the Roman government needs to feel threatened by or concerned with or any other government for that matter because Jesus wasn't concerned about what happened here on the earth to, the, to that extent because his kingdom's a spiritual kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. And Jesus said if his... If Jesus said his kingdom's not of this world, it's sort of us presumptuous for us to say, well, we're going to have our earthly kingdom when Jesus comes back, when he specifically said that's not happening. Exactly, and Jack mentions that as well. He said uh, or a little bit earlier in the chat room, he said a basic concept of, of premillennialism, which is something we alluded to earlier, the idea that Jesus, in, in simple terms, the idea that Jesus came... He wanted to set up a physical kingdom when he came the first time, but he was thwarted by the Jews. They foiled his plan, and so he's got to come back to finally fulfill that. And that's sort of one of the basic tenets of premillennialism. And uh, and Jack mentions the same verse that you just read, John 18:36, where he said his kingdom is not of this world. So it seems, seems pretty straightforward to me. You know, it's interesting. People would say that Jesus is going to come back to set up his kingdom when he comes back. Because the Jews, as you mentioned a minute ago, had thwarted him and prevented him from being able to do that when he was here. Uh, Why would we want to worship a God that was unable to overcome a conquered people? The Jews had been conquered by the Romans at this time. They weren't masters of their own destiny in any way, shape, form, or fashion. They were subservient to the Romans. In, In some ways, you might say even no better than slaves. The Romans controlled them. Well, if they couldn't whip the Romans, why would we think that they should be able to stop God from fulfilling his purpose? And if they could stop God from fulfilling his purpose, why would I want to worship him? He's not any more powerful than a man. Exactly. So, I mean, they kind of talk in a circle there that that makes absolutely no sense. But in the next breath, when you talk about uh, some evidences and maybe figurative language in the book of Revelation, like a, a bottomless pit, well, if it's a pit, it has to have a bottom. And they say, well, God can do anything. Well, if God can do anything, then that means the Jews could stop him from setting up his kingdom when he came the first time. Right. And, uh, you know, we could we could get into a whole discussion about that. But but quickly on that point, also, there's there's several other passages uh, and just one that I have that comes to mind that that clearly teach that the kingdom, you know, the premillennial idea is that the kingdom has not come, you know, that we're we're waiting for this kingdom that's referenced in the Bible and it's going to come when Jesus comes again and sets up a literal throne in Jerusalem and reigns for a thousand years. But uh, a verse that I have highlighted in my Bible is Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, Paul says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And the word is hath, so it's past tense. He At this time... People had already been translated into the kingdom, so the kingdom was already there. That's right. So, yeah. So that's you know that it's 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 amazing how prevalent though this this idea of premillennial premillennialism is. It's it's very very common uh, position held by many in the denominational world. And I uh, guess eight seventy one. Before we leave this topic of premillennialism, he says the Jews were looking for a physical kingdom, so they missed him as the Messiah. And that's true. They were expecting a physical king. And he says, why do men today make the same mistake and think that Jesus will come to set up an earthly kingdom when the scriptures clearly teach we'll meet him in the air? And I would have to agree with that. All right. Let's see. So, Monty, we've talked about, we've established the fact that Jesus is coming. We've 
establish the fact that we don't know when he's coming. We've just now talked about a little about how he's going to come, about how there's going to be a shout and, and the trumpet, and uh, it will be visible that we read from Acts chapter 1 that in the same manner that he ascended into heaven, uh, it, that he will come back in the same manner and we'll be able to see him in the clouds and that we'll meet him in the air, that he's not coming down to the earth to set up a physical kingdom. We read that he told his followers that his kingdom was not of this world and that we're going to meet him in the air, so there's not going to be anything on this earth. And so next, as we approach our final break, we'll talk about on the other side why he's coming and what's going to happen. But, Monty, did you have something quick to... Well, I had another verse right here talking about people that believe Jesus didn't establish the kingdom when he came. Uh, In Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 27, it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. You know, when he comes, he's going to have angels. And then he will reward each according to his works. And he's talking about the establishment of the kingdom. says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So they were people that alive at that time, these people that he were talking to. He said, Some of the people standing here, some of those people in that audience right there that he was talking to, we're going to see Jesus' kingdom established. Right. Yep. Yeah, great. Thank you for pulling that out. I had that verse in my head, but I didn't have my finger on it, so thank you. That That's another ex- very powerful verse to establish the fact that, you know, either the kingdom is here, as we've, as we've said, or we've got some really old, you know, really people, old people. <laughs> hiding out somewhere that have yet to be discovered. So, all right. Well, perfect timing for our, our final break. So, Again, we appreciate everybody's participation in the chat room. Keep it keep it up. We've got about 15 more minutes left to our discussion tonight. If you haven't had a chance to email in, you can do that as well. So we will continue our study on the second coming of Christ and get your comments in as the virtual Bible study will be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions is how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we are back on the virtual Bible study, and we're talking tonight about the second coming of Jesus and 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 all of the things that pertain to that. We, we've delved into a couple other uh, related topics, the idea of premillennialism and the idea we were just talking a little bit about the idea that uh, some think that the kingdom, that Jesus' kingdom that he promised had not actually happened yet. But we were talking uh, about the fact that the scriptures teach that, no, the kingdom has come. And essentially, we didn't, we didn't connect the dots fully, but if you examine that topic further, Monty, the kingdom is the church. So, That's right. Uh, and we could take time. We won't tonight, but uh, to talk about that as well. But All right. So in, in as we head towards the end of our program tonight, let's talk about uh, 
the why. So we've talked about the what, when, how. Let's talk about the why Jesus is coming. I mean, what, what what's the point of his return? Is it, uh, you know, is it, as a lot of people think, it, he's going to come back and it's going to be a big uh, love fest and it, it just hugs all around and everybody's going to heaven, right? Because that's that's probably the prevailing idea out there for people who would say they believe in God, or they believe in Jesus, and they want to say what well, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, and basically everybody's going to heaven. Is that what's going to happen, or is it something different? So we'll we'll take a look at some of that as we as we uh, wrap up the study tonight. So uh, the first reason that we could say that Jesus is coming is to raise the dead, and Monty, we we see that in John chapter five. Yeah, in John chapter five, verses twenty eight and twenty nine, we we can read about this, and Jesus himself is talking here on a. Uh, he says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So Jesus is telling this, the fact right here that there's going to be a time when he comes and he's going to call forth the dead from the graves. He's going to raise the dead, and that at that point there's going to be a time of judgment taking place. Exactly. So, you know, and this kind of makes me think about there were those in Jesus' day, I believe it was the Sadducees, and correct me if I'm wrong, Monty or Dan, if you know, they were the ones who denied the resurrection. Yeah, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels or other kind of heavenly or spiritual beings, as you would would call it. And uh, so I think, you know, we read in the Old Testament even of people living beyond the grave. So they obviously hadn't understood their, their, their... scriptures too well right and as you just read so so clearly there will be a, a resurrection that takes place uh, at jesus's coming and the another thing that's then that's going to be accomplished at his coming is the judgment of all men and we see this in second corinthians first five or chapter five verse ten yes in second corinthians chapter five verse ten it says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we're told here that we're going to be judged according to what we've done, which a lot of people believe when we think about the Calvinist doctrine in this inherited sin, and we've inherited sins all the way back to Adam. Uh, this scripture here tells us we're going to be done, judged according to what we've done, our, our own personal selves. We're not responsible for Adam or anybody else. We're going to be judged according to what we've done in our body and whether we've done good or whether we've done bad. Exactly. And I was looking for the, I was just referenced this, yeah, here we go, in, in Revelation chapter 20 is a similar idea, uh, Revelation 20, uh, starting in verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So, again, kind of the idea of resurrection there, like we talked about, that the dead were given up, and, and death and hell delivered up their dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So uh, it says there in verse 13, they were judged, every man, according to their works. That's right. So you know, we've got our, we're personally responsible for what we do. And that's not a very popular subject in our politically correct uh, nation today. You know, we always want to make somebody else responsible for whatever happens or whatever goes on in our life. But the Bible clearly teaches personal responsibility. I'm responsible for everything that I do and that I will give an accounting for it in this day of judgment that we're 
talking about when right. Jesus comes back. Exactly. And I realize I, I should have started a verse earlier, verse 12, Revelation 20. says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So, again, the idea of resurrection, people were, were alive at this time, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according, again, according to their works, like you said. So everybody's going to be accountable in the judgment for what they've done in this life. So. And that's a comforting thing when you get right down to it because I've got plenty of things to be accountable for. I, I can't even stand good for all the things I've done, all the mistakes I've made. I surely don't want to have to answer for somebody else's. That's true, yeah, absolutely, good point. All right, and so another thing that's going to be accomplished, uh, we've talked about when Jesus comes, there will be a resurrection, there will be a judgment, as we've just stated, and also the world will be destroyed. And this is that verse of Second Peter 3.10 that we've, we've already referenced tonight. And Jack actually has it has it quoted there for us in the chat room. He says in Second Peter three ten, the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So, the you know the Jehovah's Witnesses, I believe, uh, you know, teach the idea that the earth will be regenerated, or mm-hmm. somehow it will be restored to like a paradise type Garden of Eden type yeah. state. But I'm not sure what their answer is to that verse because it's well i've talked to them some and they and they'll tell you that when it's talking about the earth here that that's the people because quite often the bible refers to the world and and it's talking about people and that's what i point out to them that the bible doesn't i don't no place that i'm aware of does the bible refer to people as the earth the earth is always this physical planet that we live on when it talks about that and so it's the earth the planet and the works that are in it you know all the things that may have been built or done or whatever's involved with the works that's in it, whether it's physical things or whether it's the activities, because our activities are quite often referred to as works. But it's saying all of that's going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up. Right. So that's a pretty, you know, it's the earth and the works that are therein. So that's a very sort of comprehensive. It pretty much covers everything. <laughs> covers it all. All right. So um, I, let's see. I misplaced my outline. Okay. One last point, then we'll get to... Uh, We'll try to wrap up here. We've got a listener response that I want to get to. But another thing that, uh, you know, is sort of implied, we already talked about the judgment. So implied in that then is another purpose of of Jesus coming is to save the righteous and condemn the wicked. And we can see see that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Let me see if I can get over there. We need... uh, what we need, Monty, is like uh, somebody who can turn our Bible pages for us. You in know? advance. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> or have these, have these all marked in advance probably would be good. So uh, Matthew 25, 31. Let's see here. Okay. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And if we skip down to verse 41, uh, those who, who were wicked, he says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So, uh, we see a parting of the righteous from the unrighteous there uh, when Jesus comes again. And 
I also wanted to read a res uh, response to our question number four, which was basically what we've just been talking about. The question was, what will happen to the earth and its inhabitants when Jesus comes? We've already talked about uh, the resurrection and the judgment and so forth. And Alan says, the present order will be destroyed. Uh, human, uh, humanity will be resurrected. So we talked about that. Uh, and then, of course, those who are alive, he says, will be changed when the Lord's co Lord comes. Uh, Acts chapter 24, verse 15, having hope toward God, which these also themselves look for, that there shall be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. Uh, he mentions John chapter 5, verse 29, it shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And some other verses here. Okay, all right. You know, as we was discussing some of the things that the Jehovah's Witness believe, uh, they believe, as I understand it from talking to them, that the wicked won't be raised, that they'll just die and be dead, kind of like the dog is dead and doesn't have any eternal uh, consequences beyond it. And to me, if you're a wicked person, that would be pretty comforting. That would mean you could go ahead and do whatever you wanted to in this life and not be concerned about any future reward. It's just that I can do whatever I want to, and when it's over, it's over. I don't have to pay for it. And to, that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible, as we've just been reading, teaches a, a, a judgment of both the wicked and the right and the righteous, and that the righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will be punished. And right. so, I think that's important that we understand that. That as we, when Jesus comes, that's one of the things that's going to take place. It's not just a total annihilation of the bad people, but it's a total punishment of the bad people. Right. Exactly. And. Uh you know, yeah, this whole idea of, of annihilation and that uh, you know things will we will just cease existing it yeah. just doesn't doesn't hold up to the scriptures at all. Um, all right, we've got a couple of comments in the chat room. Let's see. Lane says in Second Corinthians verse five or chapter five, Paul talks to the fact that we will all face the inevitable judgment seat of Christ. Uh, and that that verse reads, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive." The things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. So uh, along the same lines that we've talked about tonight. All right. So here's a good, maybe, Monty, a good closing thought for us, guest 871. Since he is coming, we should be prepared by setting our affections on things above, not on things that are on the earth. And that's a reference to Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. This requires daily diligence on our part as we seek to serve the Lord. And I think that's right. Uh, we, we don't know when he's coming, as we've said, so we need to be prepared. We need to be uh, keeping our priorities straight, as the guest uh, 871 says there, and living right so that when this day does come that we've been talking about, we'll be on the right side of things. You know, as he was talking about there, this idea of being prepared, I don't get the notion as I read through the scriptures that I'm going to go to heaven by accident, <laughs> that I'm just going to kind of bumble along and stumble along through life and all of a sudden the end of my time is going to be and all of a sudden I'm going to say, oh, I've, I've, I've made it. I'm, I'm okay after all. Uh, the Bible tells us we've got to be prepared and preparation requires work and effort in order to do that. So I'm not going to go to heaven by accident. If I go to heaven, it's going to be because I've worked, toward, worked in that direction, not that I can earn my salvation. I don't mean that. Right. But I do have things the Bible requires me to do, uh, works of righteousness as the scriptures refer to it. I have to do them, and, and if I've done that, then Jesus will, with his, through his grace, save me at the end. Right, exactly. So 
All right. Well, believe it or not, Monty, we've made it to the end of the study. I wasn't sure if we'd be able to make it, but thank you to everyone in the chat room helping us out there with some with some comments, and I appreciate all the participation tonight. And, Monty, I thank you very much for coming in. I've enjoyed being here with you. It, it's been a pleasure. And, Dan, thanks for uh, being behind the controls for us tonight. And uh, we just encourage you, as Jacob does every week, to uh, study your Bible. Put God first in your life and and study the Bible every day. You'll never regret it. We'll catch you next week on the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.